because for some of the connect groups starting this week we will be following the preaching and so these questions and everything in the outline they are going to assist you to remember the message and also to be able to meditate and so there'll be some areas in the outline that you can fill in so kind of pay attention um, to where I'm going and you can follow me and what I did was to kind of make it easy is under each of the headings um, of each point that I make there's a few questions under each one and so that's for you to be able to take notes and write those things down and you'll discuss those and connect so in the book of Acts chapter 11 when you got it say so and the word of the Lord says this in verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness toward us. And today, Spirit of God, we just ask you to speak to us. We ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray that you would be glorified in these next few moments, God, that I would decrease, that you would increase. God, that you would help us not only to be hearers of your word, but doers of it. I pray, Lord God, that we would be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are, and not only the knowledge of who you are, but the knowledge of your will for us. God, we desire to bring you glory. We desire to bring you honor, and we pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are in chapter 11, and the title of the message this morning is Gospel Mission, Gospel Mission. And you can follow along with me in the intro here. Thus far, we have covered around 10 years of church history, starting with Jesus' ascension into heaven and his final command to his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we've looked at that, we saw that last week, we saw that transition um, to that around that 10-year period is when the gospel finally reached the Gentiles and God had commanded his disciples in the, in, in the book of Acts chapter 1, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with power and they were going to be filled with power so that way they could be witnesses and, uh, in, Samaria, I mean, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we've witnessed the gospel message move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And lastly, last week we saw it go to the Gentiles representing the end of the earth. Since now that the door of faith had been fully opened to the Gentiles, everyone was now privy to the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so what we discussed and what we understood last week was that when we looked at what happened, when, when Cornelius and the Gentiles heard the gospel, that was when the total division was erased, that there was no longer Jew or Greek, but we were all the same in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so prior to that, there, were, there, there was a group of people, and those were the Jewish people. Now, I don't want you to get it twisted because we do not believe in what is called replacement theology. Say this with me. Say, Israel is still God's chosen people. God still has plans with them. God still has prophecies with them. There are purposes with them. So God has not forgotten about them. But what has happened is by their rejection of Jesus, we get this opportunity to accept him. Amen? Because they reject him, now we have this opportunity to be made equal in God's eyes. No difference. And God sees us by what? The blood of Jesus, not by where we were born or anything like that. He sees us by that totally. And so what happens is here, now the door is open to everyone. The gospel is going to be preached with everyone. That's the reason why these guys are saying what they're saying here. That's the reason why the people that are of the circumcision, those are the Jewish Christians. And you got to remember, Christianity comes from, uh, from Judaism. That's where we started. And so we are 
are Judeo-Christians, right? So all of our heritage comes from Judaism, and so it's important to understand that. So these people, a lot of times we get upset with them because we're like, oh man, you know, they were being racist. And like I told you, you know, Peter, he was he had some issues, he was a bigot, he had some things that were going on with him, and God had to deal with him before he was even going to be able to preach the gospel to the Gentiles the same way that he would to anyone else. And so what happens is, though, they didn't, they, they didn't this is still a mystery to them. They're not fully understanding what's going on. So that's the reason for them feeling the way that they feel. Like, yo, man, why are you going in to eat with unclean people? Because they hadn't understood. They didn't have the vision of the, of the four-hoofed animals and the, the blanket coming down. They didn't have that vision. Peter did. They weren't there when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Peter was there. And so they have this mindset. It's the wrong mindset. In chapter 11, we will see the mission of the gospel being advanced through the church. That is the members of the church. It is important that we realize this, that God passionately pursues sinners, that is lawbreakers, his enemies, to reconcile them to himself and save them from his wrath. And he has entrusted each of us with the ministry of reconciliation. I want to say that again. It is important for us to to realize that God passionately pursues sinners. God is running after us. I wasn't running after Jesus. He was running after me. Are you, are you getting that with me? I, I, I wasn't like, you know, running hard after him. He was running hard after me. He was pursuing me. And he continues to do that. While though, while, listen, we see people out there, and I'll make this point again in, in, in the first point that we get to. But we see people out there that we think are hopeless. We think that there is no hope for them. They're never going to be saved. They're never going to hear the gospel. And can I tell you something? God Almighty, look, they thought that I was that person. Are you hearing me? They thought I was, that, I was that hopeless person. I was that person that was never, ever going to hear the gospel and respond. I was that impossible case. But I wasn't impossible for God Almighty. And he pursued me with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. He didn't change his message. He didn't change his method. He came after me. He revealed himself to me. And that's what he's doing here when he's going after the Gentiles, giving Cornelius this revelation. He is showing that he is pursuing. And here's the thing. It is not just that God is pursuing, but God pursues us, and he pursues us through others. See, I say this all the time. People were talking to me, trying to tell me about Jesus. My mom got saved, and she was the one that God utilized to finally seal the deal in my life. But she wasn't the first person that preached the gospel to me. She wasn't the first person who ever tried to talk to me about my need for Jesus. She was just the one that God utilized to finally close and bring me to that place where I repented and turned from my sin. The reason why this is important is because you need to realize that you are an important part in what God wants to do in the earth. And God's pursuit of those who don't know him, you and I are parts to this. We are pieces in this puzzle. We are the vessels that he wants to use. And that's why we're talking about gospel mission. Because we have been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God reconciles us to himself. Meaning that he brings us back into relationship with himself. He brings us back into intimacy with him. He turns us from our sins to his love. He liberates us from the power of sin. From the power of these things that have held us captive and kept us away from him and he fills us with his love and then he doesn't say just hang out with me he says now go with me as I pursue those who don't know me and so this is what he wants us to be part of and so I'll say this the moment that we are born again we are called into gospel mission and I have a new word for you not weekend warriorism warriorism hallelujah 
Not We have been called into gospel mission, church. We have been called by God to come into mission with Jesus. When we get born again, it's not just to sit back, but it is for us to go forward and begin sharing and declaring the gospel that has saved us. We are not called just to be these weekend warriors. What I mean is we get all pretty in our church clothes on Sunday, right? We get all, you know, dressed up, looking nice because we're going to the house of the Lord. But the question is this, are you on mission all week long? Or is Sunday the only day of the week that you are this warrior, that you are this great person lifting up shouts to God, that you are this great person singing songs unto him, that you're this great person who seems so devoted and so committed to Jesus? Are you like that person who who enrolls in the army to be part of the reserves? Or are you the person who has said, you know what, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for real. And listen, that's no disrespect to the reserves. Amen, somebody. I'm I'm using it as a picture, okay? There's a difference between someone who is in the reserves and never goes to battle and someone who was in Afghanistan. There's a difference between someone who experienced, you know, war and things like that and the person who is there as a reservist. And and if if, if war breaks out, they're going to be called in. But there's a difference. Okay, there's a difference in experience. There's a difference that goes on. And so it's important for us as Christians to understand the same thing, because some of us, we are those weekend warriors. We are all about church. Church Sunday is a holy day and all that. But the rest of the week, what happens? Who are we sharing Jesus with? How are we living the gospel out for the glory and honor of Jesus throughout our week? We're called to be on mission at all times. There's never a time that we're not supposed to be on mission. I've said this before. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to get our minds so convoluted and so messed up thinking about all kind of other things, worrying about all kind of problems and all kind of situations that we're going through that we forget that we have been called into mission with Jesus, that we forget that we have been called out of darkness with more than just the purpose to make it to heaven, but to lead as many people to Jesus as possible. Amen? Amen. The first thing I have you repeat with me is this, say gospel mission is greater than we realize. That's verses 1 through 18. You could write that next to it if you want. That's verses 1 through 18 that, are, that we're going to deal with here. So the first part of the scripture here, we read verses 1 through 3. And so verse, we're going to go to verse 3. It says this. These are the, the, circumcised, the, the, the circumcised Christians, those who are Jewish. They contended with him saying, you went in to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And we're just going to do this as a refresher. We'll read from verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from beginning saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, but I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Those are just words there. That's to confirm to you what God was communicating in verse 14. 
to communicate and make sure that we understood that, that Cornelius was not saved until he heard the gospel. Verse 15 says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, then and when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so what we see here, Peter is recounting for them what had occurred in the prior chapter and his encounter with God, with, with, with the Lord, and how God dealt with him. And what was going on here is that the Spirit of God was moving in a powerful way with one purpose. That was to reveal God to lost humanity, glorifying Jesus as the gospel was preached. Yet... The Holy Spirit was not operating within the legalistic box that many Jewish believers thought he would stay in. So what was happening was, see, and, this, and, and the reason why this becomes so important, because, see, we can sit there and see, this is what I told you was a danger, right? The danger is to look at the book of Acts as just a historical book. Y'all remember that I said that. And so we sit there and we're like, okay, well, what's the point? The point is this. We get the same way. We become just like them because we want God to move but our way. We want God to do something but the way that we want him to do it, the way that we feel he should do it. We want people to look a certain way for us. Listen, those, some, some of y'all are a little older than me, amen? Some of y'all, just a couple of y'all. Uh, and, and some of y'all that are my age, you were raised up in homes that you went to certain churches and things like that were a little legalistic, right? And, and you know, you couldn't cut your hair if you were a lady. No hair, just had to keep all your hair, all hair. Make that clear. It wasn't just this hair, all hair. There was no shaving involved, okay? No makeup, glory to God, right? And that was what holiness looked like. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that has nothing to do with holiness because internal holiness should be seen on the outside. But holiness and ugly are not the same thing. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I had to make y'all laugh. I had to say, because y'all like real quiet and tight today. I'm like, I'm a hard crowd today, glory to God. But here's the thing. Sometimes people think, well, the uglier I am, the holier I am. No, that's not true. That is not true, okay? But here's the, here's the point. The point is, now, now, here, here, now, now, for men, for us men, you know how, you know, Bishop got a little goatee and all that. Some of y'all looking good, right? Mm-mm. You walked into church, you got to shave all that off. If not, you would become the point of the message. You see those people there with those goatees? They're going to hell. Now listen, I, would never, I, I never had the privilege of sitting in a service like that. But the point of the matter is, some of you have that. Here's the thing. Do you think someone could come into church with a goatee and love Jesus? I certainly hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. The thing, the, the thing is, with us, we get legalistic. Even, listen, I, I, consider myself, I, I consider myself at times to be a non-legalistic person. Amen? Praise the name of the Lord. But here's what happened. Here, here, here's what happened to me. There, there was a young man that came into this church, I want to say maybe two, two, three, maybe three years ago, somewhere around that time period. And he walked into this church, right? And now I'm going to just show you how, how, how I got some legalism issues, right? So he walks in. He's rocking these big old earrings. I'm like thinking, he probably needs Jesus. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm like thinking, 
Worship time comes, this dude is like this. Ah, glory to God. <laughs> I'm like, man, he loves Jesus more than me. <laughs> like, I need some of that glory. I'm like, I'm going to pierce my ears, praise the Lord. <laughs> Here is the, <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is sometimes we have that mindset. And see, and <laughs> in our days, this is what happens. We must be sure that we do not minimize the mission of God by our own prejudices, by our own legalism, or because of our disdain for sins of a particular kind. See, what happens is we become like them, but it's not because we're Jewish. It's because we're saved, we're sanctified, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they just don't look like they're Christian. Really? Now, listen, I want you to think about that for a moment, because when you, when, when you go into Connect and you start talking, I mean, have you ever, like, not shared the gospel with someone because of the differences? Because you were just like, I don't know if I, you know, can really share with them. I don't, I don't know if they're, they're going to be open to it. There's, there's a bunch of excuses that we might use. You know, well, they don't want to hear the gospel. How do you know? Oh, if they told you, you know. But if they didn't tell you, that's your assumption, right? We'll see people that are, that are trying to serve Christ, and we rather change them on the outside rather than let the Holy Spirit do the work on the inside. Now, listen, I, I want to say this about the earrings thing because I want to let you know. I do not believe that it is a sin to wear earrings. Amen? For men or women. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm saying that because I want you to get this. Here's, here's what happened. When I, when, I was, when I was coming up in church, I got chewed out. Hear what I'm going to say? I got chewed out because one of my young people came to church. They didn't have earrings on when they, when they left on Sunday. When they came on Wednesday, they had earrings on and they had painted their hair. Glory to God. They were going to hell. I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> So I got chewed out because I didn't go off on something. And I'm like, wait a second, here, here's the deal. I, you know, I, and, and, I, and I had the conversation with, you know, with, with the pastor who chewed me out and, you know, and all that stuff. And I was like, listen, I, you know, I believe there's sanctification. It's a process. But here's the thing. The thing is, that, and, and I, I'm going to can I, can I tell, I'm, I'm tell you who the person was that, that changed my life. It was Minister Juan. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for Minister Juan? He don't have his earrings on now. He took them off. That's a whole different story. But, here, but it wasn't, listen, but it was because, but hear what I'm going to say. He took them off because of a personal conviction. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit to take them off for his own reasons, okay? It wasn't because, oh, he's going to hell. It wasn't like that, amen? It, was, it, was, it wasn't about him going to hell. And so why do I say, because we don't need to be coming up on people like, yo, you need to take them off, you need to take that off. You need, I mean, come on now. We need to want to see people get saved and come to Jesus and serve him with all of their heart. But what we do is we forget, you know, we forget about like where we came from, hello? And so what happened was, you know, these Jewish people, you, you got to remember these Jewish believers. Remember when Jesus was talking about he who the son sets free is free indeed. Y'all know that scripture, right? And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But do you know all the scriptures like in between all that? Well, the whole story in between that was he was telling these people, he's like, you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. And these guys were like, we've never been in bondage to anyone. They thought they were pure. They thought they were holy. They didn't need Jesus. And Jesus was like, hold on a second, time out. Anyone who sins is in bondage. They're a slave. And now they're like, nah, man, I don't know who you're talking about. And so the point of the matter is they never came to that understanding that they were like sinners in need of Jesus. And so they had this problem. And what happens to us, like when we first get saved, we're like, cool, because we were sinners. But then after a little while, we forget we were sinners. That's why I remind you every week. I, I just want you not to ever forget that you are a sinner, okay? And that way, when, when someone who you think is a bigger sinner than you, 
You're, you're not like judging them, right? You have the right mindset. But here's the thing. We get this mindset, and, and it's the wrong mindset. But here's this. The gospel, and you all are going to take some notes here for sure if you got a little paper there because they're going to talk about this and connect. The gospel is an exclusive message with an inclusive invitation. The gospel preached correctly, it conveys a few things. The first thing is the gospel preached correctly, it conveys God is holy, God is one, not many gods. That's exclusive. It shows us that God is holy. God is one God, not many gods. There's not a whole bunch of ways to get to him. There is one true God. Do not believe the lie that all religions are worshiping the same God. They are not. It is very important that we understand that. That is not about being spiritual. It's not about any of that. It is about Jesus. The gospel correctly preached talks about one true God. The, the, it also conveys, it conveys that man is sinful. That's inclusive, everyone. That's inclusive. Exclusive, one God. Sinful, we all are. Inclusive. Everyone is included. There is no one who is not sinful. We are sinful in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We are lawbreakers. If you don't understand what sinful is, we are breakers of God's law. And we are separated from God by that sin. All lawbreakers must be dealt with. There are consequences. Hello? This is, this is inclusive. See, the exclusive part, one God. All are sinners, everybody. All lawbreakers and all breaking of the law must be dealt with. Our sins of commission, things that we do wrong, and our sins of omission, things that we don't do right or that we exclude or that we don't do in our life, make us guilty before God who is a just judge. He's a just God. He is a just judge who is in it, who in his justice must punish sin. He must. He can't just he can't just give you a pass. And they say, "Well, I think you're cute, so don't worry about it." No. Doesn't happen that way. He created you. He definitely thinks you're cute, but not cute enough. Hello. We can do nothing to fix this problem. We can't pay our, our price, our own price, or earn a pass from judgment. The next thing is, Jesus, it, it, it conveys Jesus as our substitute. Exclusive. One substitute. Not many substitutes. You can't pay for yourself, right? Jesus is a substitute. God shows us his love in sending his son, literally coming in the form of a man and dying in our place, taking upon himself our punishment. So the point is that all of us, because God is holy, God is just, we are sinners, we break his law, we are worthy of hell, and what happens? God sends his son to die in our place to show us how much he loves us. He he doesn't want us to experience hell. He doesn't want us to experience judgment. He doesn't want us to experience a moment of separation from him. Understand what I'm saying. If you have not turned from your sins, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you are separated from God right now. And God says, I don't want you to spend another moment separated from me, but I want you to be in relationship with me. But he wants you to understand you and I cannot do that on our own power or our own ability or our own righteousness because we cannot be good enough to be accepted by him and so what he says is he says listen i've died in your place because i don't want you to experience my wrath i want you to experience my love i want you to experience my grace i want you to experience my fullness again it conveys to us that through Jesus and Jesus alone, not my religion, not my morality, not my spirituality, not my good deeds. Through Jesus alone can we be saved from the wrath of God and saved to the love of God. 
And then here is the all-inclusive thing again. Anyone, say anyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord in faith shall be saved, period. Anyone who calls on him and says, I believe what the Bible says about you. I believe that you are Savior. I need your salvation. Anyone who does that will be saved. There's no question about it. He's not saying, well, let me see. No, he's looking at your heart and he's saying, do you have faith in me? That's what he's asking. Is there faith in me? And if it's there, he wants to save you. He wants to love you. But you cannot, listen, you cannot call on him in faith and say you believe who he is and continue to live how you want to live. Are you with me here? We can't do that. We can't just say, no, I believe. But do you really believe? Do you really believe to the point that, you know, I can't continue to live like that? It's, it, listen, it, let, let, let me give you the example. It's kind of like you saying, you know, I, I don't know, when, when I was younger, um, much younger, when I was a teenager, didn't have a vehicle, we, we, we used to hang out in Altamont Springs, and there's like, you know, there's I-4, you know what I-4 is, um, right there by the mall, so you know where the I-4 overpass is, well, we used to, we, I used to have a friend who used to live over here by the hotel over there, and then we had another friend who lived on the other side, right, so that's a long walk, right, so you know what we used to do, we used to cross I-4, crazy, I'll give you more details later, but no, that's enough. It was really crazy. So we would cross I-4. Now, I want you to understand, we crossed I-4. We really looked, like, really looked intensely and tried to measure, and we ran as fast as we could across I-4 because we understood, you know, the speed limit's like 65, right? And so there's a good chance of, okay, so we would do that. Now, it's like me saying, I believe I-4 is there, and I'm just going to start walking, take a casual walk. Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe this is I-4, and you know what? I'm going to just start walking across. I'm not going to look to the left. I'm, not, I'm just going to start walking. Do you really believe that's I-4? Okay, one of two things. Either you do not believe that that is I-4 and know what's coming on, or you want to die. It is one of the two. That because you, really, you, don't, you don't really believe that's I-4, and you're just going to take a casual walk across like, you know, like you're walking in a park somewhere. Because there, there are vehicles, there are things that are going on, you know, on I-4. Cars that are coming very fast that are not looking to see someone walking across. Hello. And so what happens is, when we say we believe, if we believe, it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we address life. So if we call on him... If we turn to him, putting our trust in his finished work on the cross, if we acknowledge our sin that put him on the cross, turning from them to him, what do we get? We get new life. We get a new life. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. We get a new life. The scripture says we get a new heart. That is regeneration. The Bible says that I get a new identity. So no longer does God see me as what I used to be. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't remember those things. When I really put my faith in him, the Bible says that he throws my sins into the sea of forgetfulness. That is awesome. That means that he, listen, he throws them so far away, he never remembers my past sins. He, he doesn't look at me that way any longer. And every time that I fail, every time that I fall short, what does he do? Does he go ahead and just rub? No, he doesn't. He doesn't just give me a little rub and say, it's okay. It's not okay. He calls me to repentance, but he doesn't say, well, I'm going to look at you like that and wait and see if you're going to do it again. No. Immediately, he responds to my repentance, forgives me of my sin, brings me back into fellowship, intimacy with him, and he empowers me by his grace to do what? Not to fall into that sin again. That's what he does. He gives me a new identity, and he gives me a new eternal destination. 
So for me going on my way to hell because I don't want to serve him, for me going on my way to be separated from him for all of eternity when I put my faith in him, when I put my faith in what the gospel communicates. And church, that's what the gospel communicates. I hope you took good notes and that when you're in connect, or even if you're not in connect, you can refer to those things because that is what the, the gospel is, an exclusive message with an inclusive invitation. It is exclusive because there is only one way to salvation and that is Jesus Christ alone. And they were able to rejoice in the fact that what? That God had done a great work in these Gentiles. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel mission is for everyone to participate in. Look at verse 19 with me. It says this. It says, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these, of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for, de- departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it, was that, so, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, those verses that we see here, what we're reminded of is what? We're reminded of his persecution that happened about 10 years ago when Stephen was martyred. That God used to further the gospel. Here we see, I love this. Who, who, what were the names of the people who were preaching the gospel? Did you see any names there? There was no name people there. They, they, they weren't given any, any, any formal titles. They said those who were scattered because of the persecution, they went about and they did what? They were sharing the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. The scripture says later on toward the latter part, which is what someone said, is that they were first called Christians there. But here is the point. The point is that's the only name that you get other than the people who were sent to the church in order to help them grow in Antioch. But when we look at this, there's a specific place called Antioch, and obviously we're in a historical book, so I want to give you a little bit of understanding about what the city of Antioch was. The city of Antioch had a population of about a half a million people. That's a pretty big city. Um, according, Antioch ranked as the third largest city in the Roman Empire following Rome and Alexandria. It had magnificent buildings that gave it the name Antioch the Golden, Queen of the East. Now listen to this. The main street was more than four miles long and it was paved with marble. And it was lined on both sides by marble colonnades. It was the only city in the ancient world at that time that had its streets lit at night. It was a pretty impressive city, you know. It was like, a, it was like New York City, but, you know, back then. It was like, it was like that, you know, just, just really impressive. It was a busy port, a place where they came and they did a lot of training. It was a center of luxury and culture. Antioch attracted all kinds of people, including wealthy, retired Roman officials who spent their days chatting in the baths or gambling at the races. With its large cosmopolitan population and its great commercial and political power, Antioch presented to the church an exciting opportunity for evangelism. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know. It would be real easy for these Christians to just leave and get intimidated when they came into that city. 
This was a place where they had all they, they, had, they had a big temple that was dedicated to Daphne, one of their gods. But all of the other gods, all of the different gods that were there, they were all worshipped in this city. And what happened was when the Christians went there, they didn't get silent. They got bold. When the Christians got to Antioch, this big old place, they didn't get intimidated. They weren't intimidated by the culture. They weren't intimidated by the religions. They weren't intimidated by what's going on. But they were on mission with Jesus, and they did what? They began to preach the gospel. And what did they see? They saw many people coming to Christ to the point that the message gets back where? It gets back to Jerusalem. It gets back to the church in Jerusalem. And they're like, man, this is awesome. But I want you to notice what they do. There's a reason why I want you to see this. Because every one of us is responsible for the mission of God. It is not the job of the pastors or the elders or the deacons. It's not the job of just those people to do the work that God has called the church to do. But it is every person sitting in this room that calls himself a Christian. It is our job to be on mission with Jesus. Everyone is supposed to be participating. And what you see is 10 years later, you see, you see that this, these people are still preaching the gospel. They're still communicating the truth. The second thing that you'll notice here, or the first thing here, is that you notice that the no-namers were the ones, and that's what I call, I'm calling them. They were the no-namers. They didn't get a name. They didn't get like, oh, this person did that and that. No, no, they said those people who were scattered because of this, they were sharing the gospel in the city. People were getting saved. The second thing I want you to notice is who was the one who came? Who was it that came to or was sent by the church from Jerusalem to go and minister to the church in Antioch? It wasn't one of the apostles. Who do they send? They send Barnabas. This is awesome. Why? Because we see what God wants to do in his church. He wants to make disciples. He wants to see people that are not always depending on the present leadership, but people who are rising up into leadership, people who are rising up and saying, you know what? I'm taking the gospel personally. I'm taking the truth of God to heart, and I want to be the one who's going to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and be used by God to minister to the church. It doesn't stop there because we notice something else that happens. Barnabas goes there full of faith, full of, the, full of the Holy Spirit. He encourages the church. He tells the church, you need to be on purpose. You need to be in the purpose of God, with purpose of heart, serve the Lord. And then he goes and he finds somebody else. What does he do? He goes and he gets Saul. Because what? He knows that Saul is, one who's, who, who is the one who's going to be ministering to the church. But what does he do? He takes it upon himself to say, you know what? You need to grow in ministry. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and take you by my side, and we're going to go and minister to this church. And for a whole year, they're preaching the gospel. For a whole year, they're ministering to the church. So what do you see? You see the people that are no-namers, the people who are not on the pulpit, the people who are not leading Bible studies, they're the ones that are preaching the gospel. Then you see a guy by the name of Barnabas is being sent by the church in order to raise people up in order to minister to them. And then what does he do? He goes and he gets somebody with him by the name of Saul to help develop the church. Here's the thing. Discipleship includes evangelism of the lost and edification of the church. Let me pause there for a moment. There are th- these two things go together. You don't separate them in discipleship. You're not making disciples when you're teaching Bible study, and you're not making disciples only when you're evangelizing. It is when you are doing these things hand in hand. That is when you are fully and completely making disciples. Why is this important? It is important because the edification of the church with the intent of developing disciples to disciple and leaders to lead. That's the question that you guys got to answer when you, when, you, when you sit down. The question is, are you growing in discipleship according to that definition? Are you becoming that disciple making disciples? Are you becoming that leader making leaders? That's that's an important question for us. 
Where are you at as a person? Are you just sitting by idly hearing the word that's being preached to you, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out? Or are you living this thing out the way that God has called you to live it out? Are you living this thing out the way that God has called you into mission with him to become that disciple maker? The third thing that I'll say and I ask you to repeat this after me is say gospel mission requires monetary commitment. You say that with me again. Gospel mission requires monetary commitment. Look at verse 27 with me, please. It says, and in these, and in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. This is so important for you. You should highlight that because whenever somebody starts talking about, you know, the Bible doesn't, you know, connect stuff, the Bible is connecting it right here. It's telling you, it's giving you a historical name and a historical event that occurred to show you this is exactly when these things are going on. And so it's not like they're trying to hide something. It's making it clear that this is when it occurred. It says, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the first thing is, when needs arise within the church, what happened here? This prophet comes. He says that there is going to be this famine that is going to take place. So what was he doing? He was declaring a need. How do needs arise in the church or how do you find out about needs? There's different ways. Sometimes someone from the pulpit will say there's a, there's a family that has a need and we are going to take up a special offering. That's one way that you find out about stuff. Another way is people may come to you and talk to you in relationship. The hope is that our connect groups would be able to grow in unity and in intimacy to such a degree that we would be able to know what the needs are of the people that are within our group so we can minister to them and that way it's not always dependent upon the pulpit to communicate needs but we as a family of God can minister to one another's needs in community that's what's supposed to be happening so you find out from the pulpit you may find out in a connect group you may find out in relationship with someone else you may find out that there's a need different ways here's the point when the needs when when the needs arise within the church our hearts are being tested as to our understanding of and devotion to the gospel why The reason why Jesus gave his life was because of our need for salvation. There was a need that was continuously before the throne of God. And that was our need for grace. Our need for salvation. And because of that need, God did the only thing that he could, gave himself to die in our place. That's an awesome thing. And so the reason why I give is not because someone says I have to give. It's not because I'm going to be cursed if I don't give. That's not the motivation for my giving. I give because I have been given to. I give because Jesus gave life to me. He gave his life for a ransom for me. Therefore, everything that I have belongs to him. Not just 10% of what I have, not just 20% of what I have, not 50% of what I have. 100% of what I have is his because he owns it all anyway. The issue is some of us think that we own it all. Hello. Some of us think that, it, think that it's ours, right? And so we want to hoard it or we want to waste it or we want to use it however we want to use it instead of understanding. Hold on a second. This is not mine. God, what do you want to do with your money? And you know what he's doing? He's going to tell you, pay your bills. Amen, somebody. Because I know y'all thought, oh, Bishop's going crazy. No, I'm not. Like, God doesn't care about your bills. He provided for you. Amen. So that way you could pay your bills. He's not going to tell you go live on the street. I mean, he may, but I'm just saying. I'm not saying that. 
That's going to have to be like an audible thing between you and Jesus, and please come and get some biblical counseling before you make that decision. Amen? Glory to God. Here's the thing. The thing is, God is going to communicate to you how to deal with the money. He may tell you, but now this is what he may tell you. He may tell you, you don't need that. I, I know you worked hard for it. I know, I know you were saving up for that thing, but you don't need that. See, we don't want to hear that from him. That's why we're comfortable with, okay, I get my 10%. Amen. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all get quiet. Glory to God. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with my 10%. And then we have our, you know, especially for us that are like real like budgetary type people, right? So you'd be like line by line. I got this. I'm, I'm saving this for vacation. I'm saving that for this. So that's all accountable. But what about if God Almighty says, I don't want you to go on vacation. I want you to give that to so-and-so. Notice I didn't say give it to Faith Dome. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm just saying. I want, there, there, there's a family that has a need. And because you are such a prayerful, into Jesus person, amen, and you're seeking him, right? And all of a sudden, this family just comes up to your heart. And you're thinking about your budget like, I want to go on vacation. He's like, no, I want you to bless them. Why? I don't know. I just want you to. Here's the, here's the thing. The thing is, we're like, come, okay, here's my 10%. That belongs to you, Jesus. The rest of it, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's how many of us think, think, think about our finances. But these people, what do they do? When they heard about the need that rose up, what did they do? The scripture says that they saw what they could do, and they did it. They saw what they could do, and they did it. They looked at what they were able to do. They didn't, they, in, in this particular portion of scripture, they didn't do beyond what they could do. They did what they could do. If they could give $10, they gave $10. They give $100, they gave $100. They give $1,000, they give I don't. It doesn't give us any of those specifics. It just tells us that whatever they determined, they, they determined what their ability was, what they were able to do, and that's what they did. They gave that there. When the prophetic word was released about the famine, immediately the church thought about what they were able to do, and they devoted that particular portion of their finances, and look at what they devoted it to. They didn't devote it to right their local ministry either. They were helping another part of the body of Christ. They were helping another part of the church. That is so awesome for me. They weren't just trying to think about in-house, like what we can get and what we need. They weren't thinking about that. You know what the scripture said? That there's going to be a famine throughout the world. Isn't that what the Bible said? That's, that's what the scripture said. So it's talking about the populated world, what they know. This is a prophetic word. They didn't think about, well, we need to figure out what we're going to do for ourselves. They thought about, what can we do for our brethren? What can we do for those who are down the block? What can we do for those who are across, wherever they, what can we do for them? That was the mindset. That's an awesome heart. And that's only a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. Why is this so important? Because God is a giver. Jesus gave his life for us. He became poor, is what the Bible says, so we could become rich. And our devotion to him is reflected in the way that we handle our finances. Sacrificial, joy-filled giving is a reflection of our understanding of, our appreciation for, and our commitment to the sacrificial, joy-filled Savior who endured the cross for us. Let me say that again sacrificial, joy-filled giving is a reflection of our understanding of, our appreciation for, and our commitment to the sacrificial, joy-filled Savior who endured the cross for us. When we give with that kind of heart, it's totally different. You're not giving because you have to. 
You're not giving because, you, you know, you, no, you're giving because you get to get. Do you get to give? You're giving because of what Jesus has given. That has to be the motivation for all of our giving. It is understanding what Jesus has done. This is one of my favorite quotes, and it's by Mark Driscoll when he's dealing with money. And he says, we either worship money or we use it to worship. Let that sink in for a minute. We either worship money or we worship with it. Period. You know, you know how we can figure that out? Look at our checkbook. Go into your checkbook and see how much money, and when I say a checkbook, you know what I'm talking about, your budget, whatever you got to look at. Look at how much money you give toward the kingdom, toward the work of the kingdom, in comparison to all of the other things you spend money on. Listen, I'm not telling you you shouldn't have a mortgage payment. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you you shouldn't have cable. I'm not telling you that. Those are, those are all things that you have to navigate. I'm not telling you you shouldn't buy this. I'm not telling you you shouldn't vacation. I'm not telling you any of those things. My question is, are you giving what you are able to give toward the work of the kingdom? And let me say this, hands down. I don't even know what is given in this place. Straight up. I want you to know that. I didn't come up here because I knew, like, we need something. I'm I, I want to let you know that straight up. I, I, Pastor Aldo will tell you, I don't even know. I used to get like the PayPal notifications. They changed that. I don't get no notifications, glory to God. I don't know, and I don't want to know because I want to preach every time that I ever talk about money with a clear conscience. I'm not coming to you because there's some kind of need that's there. It is because we are supposed to be devoted to the gospel. And part of our devotion to the gospel is the way that we deal with money. Not just, listen to what I just said. I didn't say the way we give. I said the way we deal with money, because it's not just about our giving. I believe that giving is a part, but the way that we deal with money as a whole talks about our worship. It talks about what we worship, what we are devoted to. And so when we think about, when we think about giving, we have to be the type of people that are giving toward the gospel. Amen? And so you have a couple of questions that you have to answer, and one of them is, how, it, it, it is, do you need to grow in your monetary commitment to the gospel mission? Very important question. Do you need to grow in that? And my closing question is this, where do you need to grow in your devotion to gospel mission? Maybe it's in your financial area, maybe that's where you need to grow in your devotion to gospel mission. Maybe it's in the area of sharing the gospel with those that you may not be comfortable with. Maybe that's where it is that you need to grow in your devotion to gospel mission. Maybe you don't know Jesus in this place. And before you try to get on mission, you need to know him first. Today's that opportunity for you to turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus. To turn away from those things that displease God, to turn to him. The beauty of it is when you turn from those things, you are turning to him. And you get him. And trust me when I tell you this. I'm, I know this firsthand. I used to be that way. I, went, I, I didn't come to Jesus because I was afraid I was going to have to leave my friends. I was afraid I was going to have to leave all of these different things that I like to do. And can I tell you something? When I really had an encounter with Jesus, none of those things mattered in comparison to who he is. I was overwhelmed by the magnitude of his love. My life was transformed because of the power of his love. And if you don't know him today, today is the opportunity. If you've turned away from him, today is the opportunity for you to turn back to him. And I say this because I want to make sure that you understand this. Tomorrow is promised to no one. So don't think I'm going to do this tomorrow. You don't know if tomorrow is going to come. You do not know that. Today is the day of salvation. 
I love one preacher said, I don't know who it was, but he said that the Bible knows no tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So if you don't know him, I call you. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in him and walk with him today. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads. I just want to open the altar today. If you need prayer in this place, if you don't know Jesus in this place, I want you to come forward. Let us pray with you. If you need prayer about something that was preached, about something else, I ask you to come forward. Let us pray with you. I want to give a moment for that. If no one responds, and I will pray a general prayer. Hallelujah. Jesus, we honor you today. We honor you today, God. We honor you today, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Master. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today for your love toward us. We are grateful today for your mercy. We are grateful today for your kindness. And God, we humble our hearts before you today. And we ask you, Spirit of God, to have your way in us. God, help us to be those people that are on mission with you, God. Father, help us to be those people that are truly walking out the gospel call on our lives, Lord God. To love you first above everything else, Lord God. Father, to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord God. Father, help us to be those that are devoted to your purposes in this earth, my God. Father, remove the idols of our heart, God. Remove those things that hinder us from fully devoting ourselves to you and your mission, God. Father, I pray for us, Lord God, that we would be devoted, Lord Jesus, to those things that your word calls us to be devoted to, that we would share the gospel unceasingly, my God. Father, liberate us from prejudices, Lord God. Liberate us from our own mindsets. Lord God, help us to make the gospel of first importance above anything else, my God. Father God, help us to be those who are not bound by fear, who are not bound by doubt, but Lord God, who go forward on the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, my God. Father, and I do pray for us as givers, dear Jesus. Heavenly Father, I know that your conviction was upon hearts today as I was talking about giving. I pray that it would not become condemnation, but God, that it would be conviction that turns to repentance, my Lord, that we would be givers who give because of the gospel that has changed us, because of the Savior who has loved us, my God, that we would be devoted to the gospel, Lord God, not only in word, Lord God, not only in deed, but Heavenly Father, in our giving as well, Jesus. God, that we would see the needs of others and that we would be moved with compassion, that we would see the call to be faithful givers and that we would be moved as well, Jesus. God, we thank you so very much today. We give you all praise and we give you all glory in Jesus' mighty name.